Amen, amen. As we open up God's word this morning, let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for this opportunity. Uh, Lord, you have uh, shown us uh, places and opportunities where we uh, can serve uh, through Low Country Pregnancy Center, through uh, Rock the Block, through Stillworthy Ministry, Dunamis Foundation, uh, things all over. Uh, but Lord, at this time, let us be reminded that we have a, an amazing opportunity uh, to be served by your word. And so, Lord, we ask that uh, the Spirit of God would, would open our eyes and our ears and the depths of our soul to receive uh, the truth of the gospel. And, Lord, we will, uh, by grace through faith, continue to live in the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, we'll specifically be looking at verses 24 through 26 this morning. Uh, if you're with us this morning on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that you're sitting in or underneath the seat in front of you. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible and open up to page 1078. Uh, 1078. We are in an amazing chapter of scripture in Galatians 5 because really uh, Paul is really getting to the heart of what it means to be free in Christ. He spent the first four chapters in uh, the book of Galatians talking about the foundation of that freedom that we have in Christ, the doctrinal truth, if you will, the theology behind it, uh, and the, the, the importance of faith and justification, but not just faith and justification, meaning how is it that we're right with God and remain right with God, but faith and sanctification. How is it that we continue to grow in Christ? In other words, how do we continue to walk daily in the freedom that Christ has for us? And what has been happening over the past several weeks, uh, all the way back to uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, is we've been uh, confronted with uh, the, the reality that, that we have the Spirit of God who indwells us, right? Uh, but we also have the remnants of sin. Yes, through the cross, the, the penalty of sin has already been removed. The power of sin is already removed. But until Christ returns or we go to see him, the very presence of, still, of sin still remains on some level, right? And so we have to understand that in this journey of life, the Christian life, so this is for followers of Christ, that's who Paul is addressing, that we have to understand that the, the Spirit of God and the desires of our flesh... They're at war with one another, right? They're on 100% opposition to one another. And that is an amazing, important truth for us as followers of Christ. In other words, maturity in Christ isn't so much that you no longer are tempted with something. Maturity in Christ is that with that temptation, you take it to the cross over and over and over again so you do not sin, right? So you can be tempted every day, and you will, if you truly acknowledge it. What shows growth in our freedom in Christ is where we take it. Right? So either we're going to try to uh, satisfy the, the desires of our flesh and ourself, right? gratify those desires because of, we're relying on self, or we're going to take those things and we're going to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ, where true redemption, true restoration, true freedom, true life is found. And so Paul has been sharing with us what it means to walk by the Spirit and not be led by the flesh, and he gave us uh, tremendous evidence of what it looks like, again, in a Christian in a Christian, what is it, what's the evidence that you're relying on the flesh and not the spirit? Well, he talked about sexual sin, sins of the, related to worship. He talked about relational sin. He talked about sins of indulgence. We saw those in verses 19 through 21 in Galatians 5. But he also gave us evidence of what it looks like to be bearing the fruit of Christ, right? What does it mean that we're led by the spirit? What, is the, what does that look like? What is the evidence of that? And he talked about that in verses 22 and 23 where he talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And here's what we need to realize. As a follower of Christ, a child of God, a brother and sister in Christ, by grace through faith, right? You've been saved. But you still today, I still today, have the capacity to show the evidence of the flesh or the evidence of the Spirit, right? That's important. The question is, how is it that you and I, on this journey of faith, 
from, from the moment of salvation to the day we die and enter into heaven? How is it that we continually live by the Spirit and not by the flesh? Paul is going to address that in verses 24 through 26. He says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So it's based on this passage. I want us to see uh, four amazing aspects of this journey of faith, what it means to be led by the Spirit, right? The first thing that Paul's going to address is this, that we need to stay anchored in our new identity. Listen, if you want to remain uh, being led by the Spirit in your life, not gratifying the desires of the flesh, the very first thing that Paul addresses is that we need to stay anchored in our new identity in Christ. The, the gospel is all about your new life in Christ, right? Of what Christ has done, and that is exactly what Paul goes to. This is what Scripture goes to over and over again. And listen to what Paul says. Don't, don't lose sight of this amazing word. In verse 24, the first part, it says, And those who what? Those who belong. Underline that word. That is an important word. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, not everybody belongs, right? Only those who have received the gospel by grace through faith belong. So this is a promise to you. This is a birthright to you, not because of you, but because of what Christ has done. You belong to Christ Jesus. Every day, you wake up, you got a million things on your mind. You wake up late, you're hungry, you're mad because you didn't do something the day before. You got, in our case, a dog looking you in the face at 5.45 in the morning. As immediately as you can, you rehearse in your mind with great passion, I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. Let that be a gospel habit in your life. I belong to him. The very fact that my identity is secured in Christ by the precious blood of Jesus Christ gives me amazing hope when it comes to living by the Spirit and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. And Paul had already addressed this. Remember how he began his letter to the Galatians, the churches in Galatia. He says in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 1, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the benefits of this grace and peace. Who gave himself for our sins. That speaks of our old life. Christ has fully satisfied the debt that we owe because of our old life in sin. But, but there's a promise of new life as well. Not only did he give himself for our sins, but the scripture says to deliver us from the present evil age, the very age that we're living in, right? Not just forgiveness of sin, but power of transformation, right? New life. And what does he say? It was according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Everything about your new life in Christ goes back to what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. That is the beauty of the gospel. So much so that when uh, Paul is writing to the churches in Colossae, that's exactly what he does there in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, if then, better, is since, since you have been raised with Christ, right? You have a new uh, position in life. You're no longer dead to your sin, but you're alive to Christ. Therefore, what? Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The word seek there means to strive after, right? To set your affections on that. He talks about that in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So it's not just setting our minds from an intellectual standpoint. It's setting, it's anchoring your heart on the things of Christ. In other words, what is it that you cherish the most? Is it Christ above all? Because that's what the book of Colossians is all about. It's all about the sufficiency, the supremacy of Christ. So when you set your, your heart and strive after the things that are above, guess what you're cherishing? You're cherishing the things of Christ. But what happens when you lose sight of that? You begin to cherish the things of this world. And what is, what is, what is found there? 
What does the scripture say? How is it that we set our, thing, our hearts on things above? It says, for you have what? You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. What an amazing phrase. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. In other words, everything that I need, because I belong to him, is found where? It's found in him. I don't have to go outside of God's provision, God's promise, God's plan for me. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Look at verse 4 again. When Christ not if Christ, but when Christ, who is your life, appears. It's going to happen, right? So what started off positionally in Christ, I belong to him, now begins to work out practically, right? Why? Because I'm setting my mind on him. And where does it start? It starts with, over and over again, being anchored in the very fact that I identify with Christ. Listen, the flesh will wear you out. Do you agree? Do you get frustrated and uh, discontent and discouraged when, when, I mean, we get like this with our kids, so we get like this with ourselves, right? That you're dealing, you're, you're struggling with the same thing over and over and over and over again. Listen, anchor yourself in who you belong to, right? That not only has he done a work of grace in your life in the past, and not only is he continuing to do a work of grace in your, in your present, but guess what? Praise be to God. He will ultimately complete what he started in you, Right? So you belong to him. Anchor your life and your new identity in Christ. If you truly want to live by the Spirit and not indulge in the desires of the flesh, be anchored in your new identity. Secondly, uh, crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. Listen to how Paul explains this in the second part of verse four, uh, 24. He says, he says, because you belong to Christ, uh, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul talks about passions and desires. Listen, God has given us passions and desires. Would you agree? But what Paul is referring to as passions and desires is, is we, we're taking those things that God has given to us and we're, we're trying to satisfy those things and things that are contrary to the word of God, contrary to the plan of God, and contrary to the purpose of God. It doesn't matter if it's uh, sexual in, in nature, and that's a lot of times when we read a passage like this where it talks about passions and desires, we automatically just think about uh, something sexual. That is, that, is, that is one part of that pie, right? So that is true. So we, we go outside of God's boundaries, God's promise, God's blessing that is found in marriage between a man and a woman, right? And so we go outside of that. But it's not just that, right? We talk about, we talk about indulgence, right? The sin of indulgence where we, God has uh, given us freedom to indulge in, or uh, given us freedom to partake in many things, right? But the desire of the flesh, the passions that we have, want to go beyond that, right? That appetite for something is a craving, and so we try to overextend ourselves in that thing. So that thing that God had given to us as a freedom because we have uh, been, not been led by the Spirit, but the desires of the flesh, we've been indulging in those things, and no longer do we have freedom, but we have what? We have captivity, right? Right? And so that's what Paul is addressing, that the, these passions and desires. And, and, and what does Paul say? Paul says that, that we, we, we have to crucify the flesh. Now think about that for just a minute. Paul had already talked about uh, the word uh, crucified already in Galatians 2.20. This is a very uh, famous uh, verse in the book of Galatians. And let's read that for just a second. Galatians 2.20 says, I have what? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. This is a redemptive fact, right? By grace through faith, you're saved. Your old life is gone. Your new life is here. All of this is because of the work of God's amazing grace. And because of that redemptive fact, we have this present reality. But what is what? But Christ who lives in me, right? That, that is your present reality right now as a follower of Christ. The, the life of Christ lives in you. And how does that impact your life? He goes on to say, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, why did we pick out Galatians 2.20? Well, he uses the word crucified, right? 
He also uses the word crucified in Galatians 5.24, but there is a massive difference between those two words. In Galatians 2.20, the word crucified is in the passive voice. That means that that, has been, that, that that was something that was done to you, right? But when you get to the word crucified in Galatians 5.24, that is not in the passive voice, that is in the active voice. That means that is a responsibility that you have as a follower of Christ. In other words, what, what God did to you and in you, by his amazing grace, you have a responsibility with that today, right? So today, right now, as a follower of Christ, if you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, then daily, moment by moment, you're crucifying the flesh. We are active participants in the spiritual war between the spirit and the flesh, right? Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 2.11. We saw this before. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Abstain. Stay away from it. Don't get as close as the line, to the line as you can. You stay away from it. If, if you have certain desires and passions of the flesh and, and God through his spirit gives you acknowledgement of those things, sensitivity to those things, then why play with it, right? Stay away from it. He goes on to say, uh, Peter is talking about the fact that we're sojourners and exiles, right? In other words, this is not our home, right? So in other, we live as citizens of heaven because we are here on earth, right? Why? Because we belong to Christ. We have a new king, a new master. And here's what we realize. We know that we have Christ in us, right? The scripture tells us that. But we also have a flesh that is bent towards re rebellion against God. Do you believe that today? As you sit here today, do you believe that you still have remnants of sin in your life, the desires of the flesh that, that want to rebel against God's plan and God's purpose and God's provision for your life? You better believe it. Our flesh is warring against us. And if we don't understand that, we will lose sight of what it truly means to faithfully walk with the Lord day after day after day. We need to understand that our flesh brings all the baggage from the past, right? All the bad memories and all the bad relationships that we were exposed to and, and sometimes still exposed to, right? All those attitudes, all those habits, all those struggles, and they're real, and they're painful, and they hurt. And if we're not careful, if we're not being led by the Spirit, but being led by the desires of the flesh, all those things, all that baggage, if you will, is going to express itself, right? It's going to be the evidence of the works of the flesh, not the Spirit of God. Peter says that the flesh is at war with the soul, so we need to learn to abstain from those things that excite the desires of the flesh. And here's the beauty of the gospel. He has not left us to, to ourselves to figure it out, right? That's why when Paul writes to the churches in, uh, in, in, Romans, he said, or in the book of Romans, he says, Romans 13 14, but we do what? We put on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we're putting something on, right? We're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. So there's this beautiful gospel truth of putting on and putting off, right? What does that mean? How does that relate to crucifying the flesh, the desires of the flesh? Well, Paul really helps us in the book of Colossians. So let's read this for just a moment. Colossians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 5. Uh, what does Paul say? Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Man, that's strong language. Kill it. Crucify it. And what is it that we're to crucify? What is it that we're to kill? What is, what is it that we're to put to death? He says, the, what is earthly in you? What's in you? The desires and passions of the flesh that are in you. So again, our greatest issue as Christians isn't the culture around us, right? It's not who and who's not president, right? It's not any of those things. It's not if Amazon delivers my package today or eight days from now, right? That's not my biggest issue. My biggest issue is me, right? Those desires, those things that are earthly in me, and, and he explains what those look like. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covenants. Underline this phrase, because we're going to come back to it. Which is what? Which is idolatry. That's an important phrase. Verse 6, on account of these, uh, the wrath of God is coming. So we heard that already in Galatians 5. And these you two once walked. 
when you were living in them. In other words, that's past tense. That's who you used to be, right? That's who you used to be. Verse 8, but now, but now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have, what? Put on the new self, with it, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're talking about uh, putting off and putting on, right? We crucify the flesh. We, we put it to death. The question is how? How? How do we do it? What actually needs to be crucified, Right? Is, is ultimately what needs to be crucified in my life, sexual immorality, anger, lying? Is that, is that ultimately what needs to be crucified? Listen, that is, that is the outflowing of a bigger problem, right? Paul is going to remind us that it's the root of why you do what you do is what needs to be crucified. And he anchors it back in verse 5. What did he say? Which is idolatry. So when you're uh, being led uh, by the, the passions of your flesh, those sinful desires, and it's exposing itself in sexual immorality and anger and lying and envy and all those things, you ultimately have a worship problem, right? You are choosing in that moment to worship yourself or things around you other than who? Jesus Christ himself. So he's anchoring it in the gospel, that your problem, the reason why that outward behavior is there is because you have an inward problem. He anchors it in idolatry. Paul says, stop giving CPR to the desires of the flesh. Guess what? We are pros at re... Uh, what's the word? I'm struggling like Jason. We, we resuscitate the desires of the flesh over and over again. And guess what? We try to justify it, right? And Paul says, stop trying to justify it. Crucify it, right? Crucify it. Put it to death. So again, it's not what you're doing that's most important. It's why you're doing it in the first place. Think about sexual immorality for just a moment. Right? So often we want to just focus on the what, the behavioral side of it. So uh, we go to great lengths to put all these protective measures. And I'm, I'm certainly not against those things. Those things are important. But if that's all you're doing, right, you ultimately have a spiritual issue. So you're not going to fix that with physical solutions, right? And here's what happens when you're just depending on physical behavioral modification. Talking to Christians, that, that particular sin, that desire of the flesh doesn't get any better. It gets worse and worse and worse and darker and darker and darker, right? To the point where you lose everything and you're so numb to it that you almost don't even care, right? Think about lying. Why do we lie? We want people to approve of us, right? So even when we're caught red-handed with our, cook our hand in the cookie jar, right, we will deny it, right? It's kind of cute with a two-year-old. But guess what? The same mentality, if the heart is not being addressed, it's going to be the same thing that happens when we're 50, 60, 70, 80, right? Why do we lie? We lie because we want the approval of man instead of being satisfied in the approval that we already have with God, right? Why do we get angry? Think about why most of the time we get angry, right? We get angry because when we speak, we want action, right? And, and oftentimes, we, we tend to get more angry at certain groups of people and not angry at other groups of people. It happens in our own homes, right? Like, I tend to be a lot more gentle with my daughters and a little bit harsher with my son, right? And by, by the grace of God, my wife is the complete opposite of that, so we're a great team, right? But at the end of the day, it's, it's an issue. And, but why do we get angry? Why do I personally get angry? Because the desire of my flesh says, you need to serve me, right? But what does the gospel teach me? The gospel teaches me that Jesus Christ has served me. Again, we have a gospel issue. So instead of just attacking the outward evidence of the flesh, Paul says you get to the root. 
And the root is over and over again idolatry. You have a worship issue. So we must crucify the flesh. Crucify it. Kill it. That's why it's so, so important. It's the sin beneath the sin, right? And it goes back to truly anchoring our lives in the very fact that we belong to Christ. Our identity is in him. Paul says in Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 3, right after this, he says, uh, put on then, and, and where does he anchor us on? Identity. Listen to what he says. As what God's chosen once, holy and beloved. So the clothes that we're putting on are anchored in what? Our new identity in Christ. And he says that the compassionate hearts and kindness and humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, as you also must forgive, and above all these things, put on what? Put on love, which binds everything together in what? Perfect harmony. So you crucify the desires of the flesh by day after day, moment after moment, taking it back to the very place that you found life in the first place. You take it back to the cross, right? Listen, when Jesus is instructing his first disciples, this is exactly what he's talking about. He says in Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would what? Come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, what? Daily and follow me. So what is Jesus talking about here? Well, when he's talking about dying to self, he means we're denying self-rule in our life, right? When we don't deny self-rule in our life, guess what happens? The evidence of the flesh, right? But we are choosing moment by moment by faith to deny self-rule in our life. And here's the, here's the reality. It's not up to debate on who's on the throne, right? King Jesus is on the throne. The question is, are you choosing to live moment by moment as if he is, right? Are you functioning in life as Christ is the throne of your life, right? And then he talks about uh, the cross we carry, right? Now think about that. Sometimes we, we get in little fancy things. Well, uh, I'm, that's the cross I bear. And usually it's a physical ailment or, you know, something like that. A broken relationship, something like that. Listen, it can involve that, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. The cross that you bear is the cross of Christ, right? So when you choose to take up that cross, you are choosing to take up the very cross of Christ where everything was completed on your behalf, meaning that you are acknowledging that you identify with him. That's why it's connected to following him. You're submitting to him. And here's the reality with crucifixion. It's extremely painful, right? So when we're talking about crucifying the flesh, this, this isn't easy. This isn't putting a sticker on it and saying, well done. You got an A. No, this is something that is going to be painful. Saying no to the desires of your flesh is not an easy thing. We also know that crucifixion is gradual. Didn't happen just like that. Didn't happen just like that. So when we're talking about crucifying the flesh and, and daily carrying the cross of Christ, the reason why is because day after day, you got you to drag that old, dirty, ugly desire of the flesh back to the cross time and time and time again. Until it what? Until it ultimately does what? until it ultimately dies, right? So this is an ongoing practice for us as followers of Christ. You have two options as a Christian when it comes to the flesh. You can gratify it or you can crucify it, right? Now, at this moment, you're thinking, man, I got a lot of sin I got to crucify. Well, it's probably true. How about start with one, right? What's that sensitive area that Christ is revealing to you? Trust, trust in him. Trust in that provision. Crucify it every day. Third, uh, we need to remain in line with the Spirit. Remain in line with the Spirit. So we need to submit daily to his leadership in our life. And that's what Paul talks about in verse 25. He says, if or better, since we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, since, since we receive life because of the Spirit's work, 
right? And only because of the Spirit's work, let us remain there. It's a military term. It's kind of like uh, when soldiers uh, march, right? They, they march in a line. And they, they, wherever the leader goes, wherever that, that, that the high-ranking official goes, guess what? They automatically follow. And the same is true for us. Because we are given new life because of the Spirit, let us remain under that same Spirit. Let Him lead us. Let Him guide us. So why is the role of the Holy Spirit so important in your life? One of the reasons is found in John 16 when Jesus is talking. He says, uh, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever he, he hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. In verse 14, underline this phrase, He will do what? He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what is one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit? To glorify Jesus Christ, right? And how is it that we are able to glorify Jesus Christ. It's through the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 27 says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what is that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only hope that we have to truly glorify the Lord comes from the Spirit's work in our life. Listen, the Holy Spirit in your life is not on autopilot, right? You don't wake up every day and it, that button's already pushed and you're good to go. no. Every day, you're choosing to remain under the Spirit's working in your life. The question is how? How? Well, Paul gives us some indications in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as I in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says what? He says, work out your own salvation. That's an important phrase there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul, uh, Paul is reminding us that, that God has given us everything we need to work out our salvation, right? We do so with fear and trembling. In other words, we, we want, we desire to live lives that do absolutely nothing to dishonor the Lord, right? Now the question is, how do we work out our salvation? What is the connecting point between God's new power and new desire in our life and working out that salvation. The connecting point is always faith. Faith. So faith isn't about just forgiveness of sin. Faith is how we live every single day. We are trusting in the very promises and provisions of God. So it's not enough to embrace the promise that in Christ there is life after death. We also need to embrace the promise that in Christ there is life before death. Do you live like that? Do you live today as as if you have new life in Christ, that you are truly working out your salvation. And, and the people in, in Philippi would have understood this because they lived on uh, silver mines. And so the only way to get that, the value of that silver out of the land, they had to do what? They had to dig it out. They had to work it out. And the same is true for you and I today. How much? It's far greater. We have the treasure of Christ in us, right? The hope of glory in us. And so Paul says, by faith, work it out. One of the great places that we see this is in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, time and time again, you look at the Old Testament saints and how uh, they live by faith and not by sight, right? Not perfect faith, but they live by faith in the perfect one, right? And one of those is Moses. Uh, Moses, uh, the scripture tells us in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 24 and 26, the scripture says, By faith, uh, Moses, when he was grown up, uh, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to what? Than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So here's Moses. He's 40 years old right? He has a decision to make. I can remain where I'm at in Pharaoh's house. I've got everything I ever needed, right? I can, I can indulge the desires of the flesh over and over and over again, but I have a greater desire. I have a greater desire. And what is that desire? He tells us in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. In New Testament language, he was denying himself. He was taking up his cross and daily following him. The word reproach, think about it. When Moses 
added all those things up that were before him. And he counted it, compared it to the life that he has in the Lord. It was no comparison. And that's what we're called to do every day. Because every day we're making mental calculations. We're making emotional calculations. We're making heart calculations on what do we want to follow? Where are we choosing to be led? And when you anchor yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the beauty is Moses is looking to Christ, right? We're looking back to Christ, right? We're New Testament saints. We look back to what Christ has done on the cross. And so every time that calculation, if you truly do the calculation, the new life in Christ is always worth following. So crucifying the flesh. Removing the idols and remaining under the Spirit is lost and won based on who you believe Christ to be. Will you by faith trust in Him and treasure Him? Will you truly remain in the very love that He has for you in the gospel? I love what Tim Keller says, speaking of uh, idols. He says, if you uproot the idol and fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol will grow back. So remaining under the love of Christ. And Paul prays for this for the, to, the, to the churches in Ephesus. He talks about uh, spiritual strength. And that's what it really is about, right? Removing the idols of our life, remaining under the Spirit's guidance is about spiritual strength because we don't have it. And so this is Paul's prayer. So just listen to Paul's prayer. Pray this over and over again for yourself and for those uh, that know the Lord. Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, and that's where we need it, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have uh, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, what conquers my idols? Now to him who is able, right? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful prayer. So remaining under the Spirit's leadership we have to confess our sin, we have to repent of our sin, and we have to have a renewed trust in the finished work of Christ. And lastly, if we want to continue to live lives uh, under the Spirit's control and not the desires of the flesh, uh, we need to guard our new life against pride. Guard our new life against pride. Paul says something interesting in verse, and really this is what's going to catapult us uh, in two weeks when we look at Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5, but he talks about uh, this pride in verse 26. He says, let us not become conceited, that is, become prideful. And then he says, provoking one another envying one another. So there's two ways that we become prideful as followers of Christ. One is uh, provoking one another. That is, we, we act superior around our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Uh, but the other way that we act prideful is the complete opposite, really. He, he says uh, envying one another. In other words, we act inferior. Now think about that for just a moment. Have you ever had an encounter uh, where somebody is um, uh, indulging in the sins of the flesh, right? And, and you're not, right? And you have this superiority complex like, hey, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Has that ever happened? Maybe not. No, I think, I think so. But also inferiority. What about envy and jealousy of those where they're at in their walk with the Lord? And sometimes we'll say, man, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like that. And so we have this inferior complex. Well, I can never do that. Listen, what, what guards our pride, if it be superiority or inferiority, is the fact that we all have access to the same resources, right? We have access to the resources of Christ Jesus himself. So you may not be where you want to be, but guess what? Christ Christ has given you everything you need to get to where he wants you to be, right? And so we're not going to get jealous when we think someone's more spiritual, mature than us. No, that should spur us on, right? That should be an encouragement to us. And we're not going to act superior over those who may not be where we're at when it comes to spiritual maturity in a particular area. No, our goal is to what? Our goal is to make sure and do everything we can, leverage everything we can, so that everyone will be complete in Christ. Remember, 
Paul's heart in, to the churches in Galatia. He says in Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of what childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Right? So this is a painful process, but it's a beautiful process. And what was his ultimate goal? That Christ would be magnified. Right? So when you think about brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love verse 26 because it says, let us. This is plural language. And then he says, one another, one another. So this is community, gospel community. Do you truly want Christ to be magnified in your life and the lives around you? Or are you more bent on superiority and inferiority? Remember the ministry to the church. And we've gone through this over and over again, but it's something that I recite to myself almost on a daily basis. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this we toil, struggling with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. Right? Is that truly your desire? Listen, I want to I be a follower of Christ that is led by the Spirit. And I want that for you. And I pray that you want that for me. So that we will pray and we will hold each other accountable. And our goal is not to have a name for Charleston Baptist Church or, or a name for you, but the name of Christ Jesus will be magnified in this place and wherever we go. When you think about walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, how often do you really think about your new identity in Christ? There's a reason why the gospel goes back to that over and over and over again. It's not something that you just say, I got it, next up. Oh, it's, it's the foundation for all the steps. Maybe that's where your struggle is today when it comes to being led by the Spirit. That you're forgetting who you are and whose you are. Maybe for you this morning, you're, you've lost sight of the responsibility that you have and I have in cru- crucifying the flesh. We wage war against it. We put it to death. We kill it. But how do we do it? We have to acknowledge what's really the problem, right? It's the idolatry of the heart. We are worshiping something else or someone else instead of Christ Jesus. And that's where the gospel wants to work and realize it's going to be painful and it's going to be gradual, but it is beautiful. Thirdly, choose to remain under the Spirit's leading today. He's the one that brought life. He's the one that's going to continue to bring freedom in your life. So remain under him. And lastly, Let's not live under pride. Let's be humble followers of Christ, not only desiring ourselves to be under the Lordship of Christ, but also those around us who are followers of Christ. Whatever your decision is today, I'll be up.